Hey, I'm Michael Wood, lead pastor at First West. Thank you so much for joining us today. Here in just a second, we're gonna dive into God's word and to see what it says about who he is, about who we are, and about the hope that can be found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that today God's word will encourage you, it'll challenge you, and it'll allow you to see that no matter where we find ourselves, there's always hope because of Jesus Christ. So let's dig in and see what God has for us today in his word. All right, I want to invite you to take your Bible. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is where we're going to be today. And I'm telling you, we're going to have some fun today. Chapter 14 is one of the more challenging passages of the New Testament. In fact, uh, it just doesn't happen on a regular occurrence. My wife faithfully prays for me. I no doubt believe that. But today as I was getting ready to leave the house, she stopped me and just said, Hey, let me pray for you today. Right? So... Because there's, there, there's some weight to it, all right? Uh, but here's the reality. I think today that it is going to be helpful for every single one of you in the room. And uh, we're going to get into the weeds a little bit, talking about some things that maybe in the church we shy away from. Uh, but there's some real practical application for us. And as you're turning there to 1 Corinthians 14, let me tell you something that's true about myself. I love movie popcorn. Anybody else with me? Yeah, 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 yeah. I love putting so much butter on my popcorn that when I sit down for the movie, I have to put like four or five layers of napkins on my pants just to make sure the butter doesn't come through. Who's with me? Huh? You with me? Yep, 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 yep. Right? So when I say I love movie popcorn, right, movie theater popcorn, absolutely believe that. At the same time, let me say this is true about me. I love my bride. I love her. I love Abby Wood. I am so in love with her. I am so thankful for her. Now, can we agree for a moment that I can say I love movie theater popcorn, and at the same time I can say I love my bride, and I can use the same word, but honestly I'm saying two different things, aren't I? Right, when I say I love movie popcorn, what, what, do, what am I saying? I'm saying I put milk in it and eat it for, for breakfast. No, I don't do that. That's disgusting, all right? Right? I enjoy movie popcorn, don't I? I mean, I really enjoy it. When I go to the movie, I want it. I really enjoy it. But to say that I love my bride is saying so much more than that, isn't it? Right? In fact, that's what Paul was showing us last week in chapter 13 when he's defining for us what love really is. If you remember chapter 11, 12, 13, and 14 of 1 Corinthians, Paul has turned his attention now to the gathered church when they're gathered together in worship. And one of the things that he's addressed primarily has been that of spiritual gifts. And as he's talking about spiritual gifts, he's addressed some of the issues. He's talked about the diversity of the gifts and yet the unity that's found in the body. And then last week we talked about in 13 what oftentimes feels like completely out of context from everything else he's saying. It seems like that one passage that you use for a wedding and that's about the only time you would use it. But we saw that no, Paul here is thinking about the gathered church and he's thinking about these gifts. And today as we go into chapter 14, here's what I think Paul's going to do. I think he's going to take this conversation of spiritual gifts, he's going to take this conversation of love, and he is going to exhort the church of how these two things come together. And I think he's going to show us today of what it means to not just love the Lord, but to love his bride in a way that looks more like a spouse loving their spouse more than someone loving movie theater popcorn, right? So if you have your Bible, I want to invite you to stand as we honor the reading of God's Word. We're going to begin today in verse 1. We're going to go through verse 12. We've got more than that that we're going to cover today. But just for our reading time, we're going to go down through verse 12. Paul writes, Pursue love 
and desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For the person who speaks in another tongue is not speaking to people, but to God, since no one understands him. He speaks mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the person who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and consolation. The person who speaks in another tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. I wish for all of you that you spoke in other tongues, but even more that you prophesied. The person who prophesies is greater than the person who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets so that the church may be built up. Verse 6, so now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you speaking in other tongues, how will I benefit you unless I speak to you with a revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? Even lifeless instruments that produce sounds, whether flute or harp, if they don't make a distinction in the notes, how will what is played on the flute or harp be recognized? In fact, if the bugle makes an unclear sound, who will prepare for battle? In the same way, unless you use your tongue for intelligible speech, how will what is spoken be known? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different kinds of languages in the world. None is without meaning. Therefore, I do not know, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker will be a foreigner to me. So also you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, seek to excel in the building up of the church. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Let's pray together. God, this is a moment that you have given us to turn our, not only our understanding to you, but our affection to you. And God, as we dive into this chapter that can be full of disagreement, that can be full of confusion, we are trusting that Spirit of God, you are not the author of confusion. And so we ask that Spirit, you would provide clarity for us on the understanding of your word and the understanding of what it means for our church and what it means for our lives. So, God, we give you this moment today. Spirit of God, would you speak to us? We're listening. In Jesus' name, amen. As you're seated today, the way that we're going to work through this passage is a little bit different than how we typically would. Today, I'm going to spend quite a bit of time on the front end laying a foundation for us so that we can best understand what Paul is saying. And at the end, I'm going to give you three quick observations of the passage. So you're going to be thinking here, all right, he has just spent a ton of time on verse 1. We're going to be here till 4 o'clock this afternoon, all right? I promise that's not going to happen, all right? 3.30 at the latest, all right? But I just want to give you that warning, all right, I want to give you that warning. As we look at chapter 14, what we find specifically through verse 25 is that Paul charged the Corinthian church to value prophecy over tongues in the gathered worship time. As uninterpreted tongues were unintelligible, and therefore they didn't build up the entire body or communicate clearly to unbelievers that are visiting the church. Some of that we're going to hit on the back end, all right? And so if there's a principle or a takeaway for us today, and I'm going to help bring it, I'm going to wrap it all up at the end, all right? But it's simply this, that love compels me to exercise my gifts to build up the church. Love compels me to build, I'm sorry, love compels me to exercise my gift to build up the church. Let's go back and look at verse 1. He says here, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts and especially that you may 
prophesy. Three directives that he gives here. The first one is to pursue love. Now remember when Paul's writing this, he's not writing, you know, chapters and verses. He's writing a letter. So he's just come out of this long explanation of what love is, what love does. And now he gives them this imperative to pursue love. Your translation may say follow. To me, follow is a little bit more passive. Pursue is a little bit more intentional. And I think that's what he's getting here too. You are to pursue. You are to hunt after love. And he gives them this second one, to desire spiritual gifts. So we see here how he's intersecting chapter 13 with what he's already done, I think in 11 and 12. But then he gives this specific instruction to them that they are to desire prophecy. Now, Let's lay a little foundation here because as you were reading along, you saw that you see that word prophecy or prophesy several times. You also hear him speak here of speaking in another language or speaking in tongues. So let me just address those two things, prophecy in tongues, and then we're going to give some observations of the text here. Oftentimes when we think about or hear that word prophecy, our temptation is to think about someone who is aware of events that are going to happen in the future that have not already taken place and to be able to speak to those events that they are to come. And while that is a part of prophecy or the role of a prophet, you may not understand that biblically it is much smaller than you may realize. In fact, in the book, uh, How to Read the Bible for All Its Words, is a great book on how to read the Bible and understand the Bible by Fee and Stewart or the authors there. They note that in the Old Testament, less than 1%, hear this, less than 1% in the Old Testament work of the prophets was concerned with events that were yet to come. So again, I, I want us to detach for us this understanding of prophecy. Well, that means to talk about things that haven't happened yet. Well, that's not necessarily the case. Oftentimes when we look at the Old Testament, this understanding of prophecy and what we find with the prophets of God, it is not so much that they were foretelling about events that were to come, but they were forthtelling. What that means is that they were speaking God's word to God's people. That's why in the Old Testament, oftentimes when you look at the prophets, you see them saying over and over again, thus saith the Lord, right? Thus saith the Lord. So is what Paul is saying here in chapter 14 about prophecy and encouraging them to desire prophecy, is that what Paul is thinking? That just as in the Old Testament, they would hear a word from the Lord and then they would speak it to an individual or to the gathered church and say, thus saith the Lord. Is that what Paul is referencing here? Let me tell you this. In the past, I would have said yes. But in recent times, I've shifted on my position on this. Let me tell you why I've shifted on my positions. Because like for some of you in here, I was on the receiving end of the abuse of this gift. I had someone years ago, I, I was the pastor here, but this was very early in my time as pastor. I had someone come to me and he said, Michael, I believe that I have something from the Lord for you. Well, obviously, it's, I'm going to listen well. My antennas are going to go up. And they shared what they believe with this word from the Lord. Now, I'm not going to share it with you today. And I know for some of you that really ticks you off. Get over it. All right. <laughs> but here's the reality. What they shared with me, if it were to have come true, it would have meant harm to me and potentially to my family. Now, how do you think I received that? Not well. And I'm thankful that it was not true and it has not come true. I'm very grateful for that. But what it 
it did in me was it caused me to almost stiff arm anything that anyone would say about the Lord coming to them with any type of word that would fall outside of directly written scripture. I think in a sense, Paul could say that I despised prophecy. I despise any impression that someone may have to speak into someone's life. But I want you to listen to what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And this was challenging for me. 1 Thessalonians 5, 20, 21, really 20, he says, don't despise prophecies. He says, but test all things. Hold on to what is good. So don't, don't despise prophecy. But then he gives us a clue, I think, here that gives us a better understanding of what this gift of prophecy that we see in the New Testament. And I would say now I lean to a position where it is not the same sense of what we find in the Old Testament because he says here in verse 20 to test all things. I think in that implication is that in the New Testament gift of prophecy that Paul is talking about here, it's that one could give a word that they believe is from the Lord, but that it could be, listen carefully, it could be fallible. Now that is very unlike the Old Testament prophet. When we look at the Old Testament, if a prophet were to come and were to say, thus saith the Lord, and it, were not, it was not true, the scriptures were clear in the consequences for that prophet. They were to be stoned. Why? Because at that time, for that prophet to give a word, it was coming with the full authority of God himself. But the reality is, in verse 20 here, 1 Thessalonians, to give prophecy and to test all things, I think implies the opportunity that something could be possibly misunderstood as that prophecy might be given. Now, hear me clearly. Does that mean that someone that has the gift of prophecy, that they just all the time have these thoughts and they're just telling people, God told me to tell you this, and God told me to tell you this, and God told me to tell you this. Like, I can just have any thought that I want and stick God's name onto it, and all of a sudden I have the gift of prophecy. And I would say absolutely not. I think that's an abuse of what Scripture teaches us about this gift. Why do I say that? Well, look with me in Romans chapter 12, verse 6. Romans chapter 12 is going to give another list of these gifts. And he's going to say in verse 6, according to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the proportion of one's faith. So again, he begins with this understanding of these gifts that we have. They're grace gifts from the Lord. We didn't earn them. We can't make them happen. They're God giving them to us by his unmerited kindness. We have these different gifts. And if your gift is prophecy, if that's one of the gifts that God has given you, he gives us clear instruction that you are to use it in proportion to one's faith. The literal translation there is not one's faith, but the faith. He's not just talking about this belief system that you may have, but he's talking specifically about the faith. This is the same faith that is spoken of throughout the New Testament in different places. And hear me, it is a sense of a completed gospel. I think the most well-known of this is in the book of Jude, verse 3. There's no chapter in Jude, or there's only one chapter in Jude. So in Jude, verse 3, he speaks there of the faith that was delivered to the saints once and for all. So this gift of prophecy that Paul's speaking of here in chapter 14, New Testament prophecy is always, always, always tethered to the faith delivered to the saints. It's to be in line with what Scripture teaches 
And at the same time, as we read earlier, and we'll dig into it a little bit more here quickly, uh, is that, that any prophecy that is given, we see it in verse 3, is for the strengthening, encouragement, and consolation of God's people. So it's not just any word that is given at any time for any reason. There, there's a clear purpose for it, but it is tethered to God's word. Some people want to say that this gift of prophecy is simply the preaching of God's word. That what I'm doing right now, that this is the gift of prophecy. And hear me, I do think there is an element of that. Others would say that the gift of prophecy is some sort of revelation or impression that is given to a person that is to be communicated to speak into a person's life or into a specific situation. And I think there can be an element to that. But hear me, I think it's important for us. I, I don't want us to miss today the significance of the tethering of the gift of prophecy to the word of God. And for some of you in here, if you feel like you may have this gift of prophecy, let, let me say something very clear to you that that I think a person with this gift that is exhibiting the heart of God and loving others as himself, and I would say at the same time exhibiting spiritual maturity, that you would share something that God may have given you with incredible humility. It means that you don't come up and say, listen, this is what God has told me. Right? If you come up to me after the service and you say, Michael, God has told me that you're to quit being a pastor and you're to join the power team. You remember those guys would like tear open like telephone books? Remember that, right? They would like break bats over their leg and all that. If you come up and say, God has told me, right? I'm just going to tell you, there's maybe not a red flag, but there's a yellow. Okay, a red flag's going up, right? Well, he hadn't told me that. And he obviously hadn't gifted me to do that, right? I'm glad none of y'all amen that. Thank you. <clears throat> but I want you to hear the difference of, I think, an expression of love and an expression of spiritual maturity that says, hey, listen, in my time with the Lord, the Lord just keeps putting you on my mind. And this verse keeps coming to mind as I'm praying for you. And I just want to put this before you today. I, I don't know what it means, but, but just know that I, I, I felt impressed to share that with you. Do you hear the difference there? Absolutely. And hear me today, if you're on the receiving end of this, what, is, what did Paul say in 1 Thessalonians 5? Test all things, right? If someone comes to you and says, listen, is it, God, God won't get you off of my heart. I keep thinking about this situation. I don't know anything about it. I just, God just impressed it on my heart. I don't know what to do with it. Then to test it. What do you test it? Test it with God's word. How does it align with God's word? Test it with God's character. What does it say uh, and what they're saying to you? How does that align with who you know God to be? I would say test it with other people. Bring other people into your life, right? Find people that you trust. Hey, someone came to me saying that I need to quit being a pastor and start being on the power team. Can you see that happening in my life? I think I have people that love me enough to say not at all. I right, see so you test it. So the gift of prophecy is, is to hear from the Lord. To speak it into someone's life, tethered to the faith once delivered to the saints. Let's talk about tongues for a moment. Some of you just leaned in a little bit. When we look at the New Testament, we find, I would say, very few occasions in what tongues is used. Most frequently, we see in the book of Acts, three, potentially four different occurrences. I would say each one of them. I believe the person speaking in tongues is speaking in a known human language that could be understood by someone else. 
And when they would speak in this tongue, it was a known language, although the speaker couldn't understand it and didn't typically speak it, but the Holy Spirit had gifted them to do such a thing. I think we see that, again, at Pentecost, where there were people that understood. We see with Cornelius, where Peter says that he was given the same gift that we were given at Pentecost. I think that's what we see, the pattern in the book of Acts. When you come to 1 Corinthians, as we're looking at here, what Paul is referencing, there is debate. There are some would say that it is the same gift of people that are speaking in a foreign known language. There are others that would say, no, this is some ecstatic utterance that could not be interpreted by anyone on earth. There is no one on the face of the planet that could understand what they are saying unless it was someone gifted by the Holy Spirit to understand the utterances that would make no sense to anyone else on the face of the earth. Now, let me tell you, and I say this often when I dive into to passages like this where there is, there's debate on the issue. I reserve the right to be wrong. And there are people that I highly esteem, that I would even say that I feel unworthy to even untie their sandals, that I respect as holy people of God who pursue the Lord, that I respect them and I listen to their insight on God's word, that disagree. I disagree with them on this passage. So hear me, this is definitely not thus saith the Lord. This is my best understanding of of, of God's word as I've studied it and I've prayed through it. But I'm compelled to believe that what's happening here was not ecstatic utterances, but it was the same known foreign languages, hear me, that was being abused. Now I had one last little caveat here before we begin to go to verse (laughs) 2. All right is that we have some friends in our life. When I say we, I'm not talking about me and Abby. I'm talking about all of us. We have people in our life that belong to different denominations. They love the Lord. They live their faith out. But they have a different understanding of what tongues means. For some people, they believe that tongues is an evidence of a second filling of the Spirit. Some would even go so far as to say that it is necessary for your salvation to do this. And hear me, I think there is a very, very weak argument for that in Scripture. In fact, I think Scripture would argue very strongly against the opposite of that. But this idea of a second filling of the Spirit, I think we look over at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. He says, listen, we're all baptized into one Spirit. We've already been baptized into the Spirit. The end of verse 12, he says, listen, not all of you speak in tongues. We could go on and on on that, but I, I'm not going to. But, but, but I think what we find in, oftentimes in Scripture is that people can take things that are descriptive and they can make them prescriptive. And I think that's what can happen in that case. All right. Now, are we good? You don't know if you're good, do you? All right. Are we good? Listen, I know that was a lot, but we're having to lay a foundation so it can make sense when we're going to dive into what he's saying here. All right. So here's the issue that's happening in Corinth. You have people who are practicing this gift of tongues. And they are doing it in such a way in which it is not being interpreted. And I've shared with you in the week's prior about this, but, but in a sense, they're finding their value and their identity in their gift. And so Paul here is going to speak to this issue of people speaking in tongues that have not been interpreted and the, and, and the gift of prophecy. All right. So let's look here. Now let's work through the text. We're going to do this. I'd say quickly, but that's probably not true. Somewhat quickly. All right. First thing I want us to see, first observation and understanding now of prophecy and tongues. First thing is this, the, the, if the aim is to build up the church, prophecy is preferable. 
If the aim is to build up the church, prophecy is preferable. When we look specifically at verse 2 through 5, what we find are two major contrasts that Paul's making here about prophecy and about tongues. All right. The first one is who is addressed. Who is addressed. With tongues, he's going to say here in verse 2, who is addressed is only God. Now, some people would say if it's a static utterances, it's because only God can understand unless there's someone with a gift of interpretation. I, I think it's more Paul saying that, listen, if you're speaking in a foreign, foreign language and there's no one there that can interpret that foreign language, then the reality is no one would understand. Only God could. All right. But he's saying there that God is addressed. No one else. All right. If you look down in verse 7 and 8, you'll see some illustrations that he's going to give of that reality, that if these tongues are not interpreted, then then, then, then they're pointless, right? He uses this, this illustration in verse 7 and 8 of, of, of these musical instruments, right? If they don't make distinct notes, right? How will what they is, how is what they are played on the flute of the harp be recognized, right? In the same way, the bugle, he's speaking here of the military, right? They would blow the bugle, and in blowing the bugle, and what they play would communicate something to the army. And he's saying, listen, if you're not making distinct notes, if it's unintelligible, the army doesn't know if they should charge or they should retreat. He goes so far as to say... Uh, that you were speaking in verse 9, for you will be speaking what? Into the air. There's no one that will hear. In verse 11, he's going to say, therefore, if I don't know the meaning of the language, I'll be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker will be a foreigner to me. That word foreigner there is where we get the word barbarian, and he's using that word on purpose, not just because the Greeks believe that you're either a Greek or a barbarian, but he's using, English teachers go with me on this, he's using an onomatopoeia. The word there, barbarian, when you were to say it in the Greek, it sounds like what he's trying to reference. Bar, 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 bar. If you're speaking in a language that you don't understand, right? It's like uh, the teacher, right? Snoopy's teacher, right? Charlie Brown's teacher, right? It's that same idea. So who's address? But look when prophecy is used. Look at me in verse 3. On the other hand, the person who prophesies speaks to people. And listen to what he speaks to them about, the one who prophesies, for the people's strengthening, encouragement, and consolation to comfort them. So not just who's addressed, but he's now going to contrast who is built up. In verse 4, the one who speaks in a tongue builds who up? Himself. But the one who prophesies builds up who? The church. He builds up the church, right? So Paul is going to come to this place in verse 12. So also you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, seek to excel in building up the church. These people that were boasting and finding their identity and using this gift of tongues, he's saying you're only building yourself up. You're not helping the body of Christ. You're not helping the bride of Christ. It's only about you. But the one who prophesies, it speaks in a way that is intelligible. He's saying it makes a difference. The whole church is built up. Look at me in verse 13 through 19. Second observation I want to make today is this. Very simple. If the church doesn't understand, the church isn't built up. If the church doesn't understand, the church isn't built up. He begins here in verse 13 down through verse 15. And he's laying out this understanding of praying or praising in the spirit and with his understanding. There are some people that take this passage and believe this is Paul speaking here to this private prayer language that one may have that does consist of these ecstatic utterances or some foreign language. Now hear me. 
for time's sake, we're not going to dive into this. I do know that there are some of you in here that would say, I've experienced this private prayer language. And if that's the case for you, then that's the case for you in your private time with the Lord. I'm not going to be here to have a long, lengthy conversation, argument, or wrestle over it, all right? I do think scripturally there can be an argument for the other way, that that's not what he's speaking of. But what I want to make the point of today is not that. I want to make the point in verse 16. He says here, otherwise, if you praise in the Spirit, this is the idea of speaking in a tongue that is unintelligible. If you praise with the Spirit, how will the outsider, that word outsider, that means one who is present, who does not understand. They don't have the gift. This is a church member who is there with the gathered body that doesn't have the gift. How will the outsider say amen at your giving of thanks since he does not know what you are saying? For you may very well be giving thanks, but the other person is not being built up. He's saying, do you realize that if you're doing this, if you're expressing in this unintelligible tongue, then the person who would join in with you, they would join in with your praise of saying, amen, so be it. Yes, God be praised. They don't get to do that. And so you might be built up, but the outsider, they're not. The church doesn't understand. The church can't be built up. It's why he's going to go on here in verse 19. He's going to say, I would rather speak five words with my understanding in order to teach others also than 10,000 words in another tongue. So he's lifting up prophecy. This is why in verse 5, I kind of skipped over, but he says prophecy is the greater gift, not from a hierarchical standpoint, but I think from a functionality standpoint. He's saying it's greater because people understand and the church is built up. The same way if I were... When I came to this time every week and it was my goal, the motive of my heart to try to come and just use the biggest words I know possible, right? The most impressive vocabulary that I could conjure up. Some of you would say, yeah, good luck with that, Michael, right? And and I tried to leverage this time to go as deep theologically as we could possibly go. And the motive of my heart was simply to try to impress you with all these deep theological and doctrinal truths about the Bible and about God. And I were to use all these big fancy words that were hard to grasp, they were hard to understand. And I were to use all these deep doctrinal and theological truths that that were hard to grasp in a teaching time like this. Boy, it might be good for me to feel good about myself, but let me ask you, would the church be built up? No. Listen, we, as you can see today, we want to be a church that's willing to dive deep into God's word and to help us love God with all of our strength, right? But with also with all of our mind. So we want to think deeply about God, but, but the intent of my heart, the intent of your life group leader, the intent of someone who's leading a Bible study shouldn't be to try to teach in such a way that they use everything they can to impress you about themselves, but it's to build the church up. And that's what he's saying. If the church doesn't understand, it's not built up. Last thing is this. Verse 20 through 25. So we said if the church doesn't understand, the church isn't built up. If an unbeliever doesn't understand, the unbeliever remains convinced. Right? The unbeliever remains unconvinced. Verse 20 through 22 can be a little confusing here. He's going to quote from Isaiah 28, verse 11 and 12. What happened is you had prophets that were speaking to God's people. They were not listening to God's prophets. And so he said judgment is going to come. You can see it there in verse 21. I will speak to this people by people of other tongues and by the lips of foreigners. And even then they will not listen to me. It's, a spe- it's judgment. He's calling judgment. He's going to say in verse 22, 
that tongues is intended not as a sign for believers, but for unbelievers. And I think he's referencing there the same idea of judgment. It's a little confusing because it feels very different than what he's going to say in 23 and 25. But let's focus there as we close our time together. Verse 23, if therefore the whole church assembles together and all are speaking in other tongues and people who are outsiders or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your minds? You know how we say that in Washtenaw Parish? You're crazy. If we're all speaking in foreign tongues that are not being interpreted, that's completely unintelligible even to ourselves, and someone walks in today, there's some first-time guests here today, I've met you. you you're here for the very, if you came in and we were speaking all these tongues and you didn't understand a single word, you would rightfully leave here today saying, those people at First West, they're crazy, Right? Look what he says in verse 24. But if all are prophesying and some unbeliever outsider comes in, he's convicted by all and it's called to account by all. The secrets of his heart will be revealed and as a result, he will fall face down, worship God, proclaiming God is really among you. So he's saying prophecy is to be preferred. Why? Because when God's word is clearly spoken, the church is built up. And at the same time, as we attempt to do every single week when we gather together, we recognize not everyone in this room today is a believer in Christ. And so every week, you're going to hear me talk about the gospel, the good news of Jesus and his death, burial, and resurrection. And even though there's sin in my life that has separated me from this holy God, that I've rebelled against God in my life. I have done things that not just bring me shame, but make me guilty before a holy God, that God loves me and he loves you still, and that he would send Jesus to come and pay the penalty for that sin. The Bible says that he who knew no sin, Jesus was perfect, that he who knew no sin would become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. And we share that every week, what? To build us up for believers to stir our hearts once again, what we've been saved from and what we've been saved to with a desire to continue to walk in obedience, to continue, as we read today, to not grow weary in doing good. Why? Because the gospel is that good. But at the same time, if you're here today and you don't have that full assurance, we want to speak the gospel as clearly as we can. We want you to know of the need that you have for what Christ has done, but we also want you to know of the gift that Christ extends to you today and his love for you, that by his unmerited kindness, that you could be forgiven of your past, you could be forgiven of your sin, and you could be made right with God with the promise of living this life to the full and to know that one day when you step off of this earth into eternity, you'll spend forever with him in his presence. So what's the point? Of verse 1 through 25 in chapter 14. I believe those in the church that were using this gift to only build up themselves. I don't think they would have said, I love movie theater popcorn, because I don't think they knew what movie theater popcorn was. But hear me today. This is the this is all of this together I'm trying to bring to this point because this is a moment for some of you. I'm about to step on your toes, but I pray, I pray, I pray that you trust my heart. It's a pastoral moment for some of us today. Some of you here today, you would say, I love my church. 
And hear me, I'm grateful that you would say you love your church. But if we got real honest, for you to make that statement, what you're communicating is simply this, I enjoy my church. I enjoy what they do for my kids. I enjoy what they do for my students. I enjoy Brad and our worship team and the great music. Maybe not so much Michael's preaching, but there's a lot of other things that we can enjoy, right? And so when you say, I love my church, you've maybe never fully processed through it, but that's what you mean. I love my church. Here's what you're saying. I love what this place does for me. It's one thing to say that I love movie theater, popcorn. It's a whole nother thing to say, I love my bride. You know what that means? It means that I want to live my life in selfless sacrifice and servitude to her. I want to sacrifice personal preferences. I want to sacrifice comforts. I want want to be willing to do whatever it takes to be a blessing to her, to make her life easier, to make her life better, to bring joy into her life. Listen, I think the reality of what's happening in 1 Corinthians 14 is Paul seeing these people saying, I love my church. And the reality is they just love the church because it's beneficial for them. They're just speaking in this tongue, using the gifts so people think much of them. He's saying, but prophecy or hospitality or evangelism or leadership or mercy or whatever your gift is, when you're using that gift, love compels me It's not just enjoying, it compels me to exercise that gift, what? To build up the body. So let me ask you today. Do you love your church? Is there evidences when you look at your life, when you do an evaluation of your part of of the bride of Christ? As you look over the last month, six months, 10 years, Are you loving in the sense of you enjoy and what it does for you? Are you loving your church in the sense that you are giving yourself in selfless sacrifice to build up your brothers and sisters that we get to do life with? Would you bow your heads with me today? I want to give you a moment. A moment to consider what the Spirit of God may be saying to you. And again, it can be so easy in a message like this to get kind of in the weeds and to talk about these debated topics and issues. But I think the, the bigger principle today is this. How are you loving the body of Christ? Maybe today you just need to consider, God, what are those next steps I need to take so that I'm using the gifts that you've given me to encourage, to build up, to comfort the body of Christ? Maybe today you've clearly heard the importance of Jesus articulated and for the very first time in your heart, it makes sense. You see your need and today your heart feels like it's about to beat out of your chest because you know you need Jesus today. And I pray today that you would respond right now in this moment of just turn your heart to him and say, God, come into my life and forgive me. I believe, Jesus, today that you came to this earth and you died on a cross and you were buried and you rose again. I believe today. 
and who you are. I believe today in what you did. And today I'm ready to ask you to come into my life and forgive me of my sin. To give me a new heart, to make me a new person. God, I'm ready to follow you the very best that I know how. Lord, today we know this has been a lot. But it's my prayer that, and I'm trusting Spirit of God, that that you're much better at your job than I am at mine. And so God, would you take those words that are that are true and right, and would you sink them deep into our soul? And those that are unhelpful, that are unfruitful, God, would you remove them from our memories, from our minds? And God, for those that need to respond today by faith to you, Lord, I pray that today would be that day of salvation for them. And God, for some of us today, as we evaluate our lives, Lord, would we consider it, if we really are loving the bride of Christ? Lord, we know your word tells us that you, that you love the bride and that you gave yourself for the bride. You've demonstrated us what that love looks like. Lord, help us to reciprocate that love as we desire to build up our brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus, thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, we hope, again, that you were uh, encouraged by what God had to say for you and for your life. I just want to extend an invitation for you today. Maybe today you realize that you need Jesus in your life. Maybe today you just need to take that next step in your spiritual walk, or maybe you've got a spiritual need. And I want you to know that we would love to come alongside you and serve you any way that we can. Feel free to reach out to us at firstwest.cc, or you can call the church, 318-322-5104. And we would love to help you in what God is doing in your life. Have a great day.